When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Open Air Podcast. My name is Devang Desai and I'm joined as always by Mr. Simon Bushel. Bush, a very trying week for both of us. In fact, it took us an extremely long time even to set up this recording as we are breaking on new ground. Uh, We both might have had COVID. We are both battling technical difficulties, but we're here. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. You would have thought after 127 episodes of this <laughs> show and what 101 of the Sport Chronicle, we probably could have figured this out by now. But yes, apparently we're still struggling. Uh, downloading new programs on the fly, uh, debating throwing my laptop out the window, but we made it. Um, how are you feeling? You feeling all right? I know I, you guys don't have access to antigen tests as well as we <laughs> did in Ontario, and we had horrible access in Ontario. So that is not saying a lot, but how are you doing? Well, I think I have COVID, but I have no way of knowing. So I'm just guessing off of a online checkbox thing that you have to do a questionnaire just to make sure that my symptoms may match something. But you you never know. I feel much better today after three or four long sleeps that I've had. How are you doing? Because I know you also had a positive test. Right. So I I, I used an antigen test and I, because I was feeling pretty poorly starting on Monday, but I took it on Wednesday and it was positive. And now on Sunday, I feel pretty good. So I'm I'm thankful for the three doses I've got and the antibodies I've built up, but uh, knock on wood, I'm out of the woods for the worst part of it. But yeah, not fun, not fun at all. It, uh, It made for some interesting sleeping patterns for sure. I slept a lot, but as we know, during Australian Open time, sleeping is for the week is the motto, which seemed offensive to me as I was fighting off a debilitating illness uh, that has hampered millions around the world. Sleep is not for the week, but for these two weeks, they are. We are right in the middle of the Aussie Open push. So far, so good. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, a disrupted sleep pattern sounds pretty normal, doesn't it, for this right. time of year, for this event? It's been really fun. I mentioned last week how I think we were both really ecstatic to get to watch some live tennis again because after all of the nonsense that was in the lead up to it, it was just really good to look forward to some live matches. And it hasn't disappointed. It's been a good tournament. The surface has been great. I think the ball has been the balls have been flying through very quickly. It's been a, a fair surface for both styles of gameplay that you can see. And it's made for a really fun, eventful tournament. And we'll get to the matches, but there's been just a lot of chatter as well. If you want to talk it, talk about water cooler stuff, narratives which have followed around Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne Park. Been a lot of stuff to talk about this week. 
A lot of stuff to talk about during those day sessions. The ball is absolutely flying and it's helping certain players like one Denis Shapovalov, who we'll talk about um, at length today. But Bush, you mentioned some off-the-court antics, some shenanigans, some idiocy, if we'd like to call it that. I think we begin our opening segment, though, with basically some takes, some takes that are not necessarily match-related, but the discourse. What narratives have we seen so far? What are people talking about? And I think the first one is interesting because we are both based in Canada, but have a lot of American friends. We have a lot of American people on our Discord channel as well. Um, we get really good coverage in Canada via TSN and the streaming apps. And it is very easy to find matches, to watch matches. And that is not the case in the United States, which I think is still shocking to me, considering all the ways they have the opportunity to present tennis. Well, if you've been following tennis Twitter or been around the quote-unquote discourse this week, you'll have seen a lot of hate directed towards ESPN's coverage. It's been, A, very difficult to find it. And I think that's the one thing that's been talked about at length since this tournament began of the way that ESPN is just outright not showing matches. And the secondary part of that is when they are having coverage of tennis, it's largely not showing the actual sport. It's showing commentators or pundits talking about it as opposed to, you know, concentrating on the, the match play that's happening. And it's made for, uh, I think, a really quite embarrassing week for ESPN all in all, not just because of some of the coverage that's been on, but also just... It's been pretty bad, Dev. It's been pretty bad to be part of it, especially when this has been a really good tournament to watch. And a lot of people in that country have found it very difficult to find find the matches. Well, I mean, what good is it to have the streaming rights or the, the ability to, to log into a streaming service and watch something if you don't know where it is? And I think part of that is also based on the fact that I think ESPN's dedication to the talking heads aspect of tennis remains extremely strong to the detriment, perhaps, of live tennis when things are actually happening, which I think is understandable to be mad at when you're trying to watch uh, Francis CFO versus Taylor Fritz and you have two guys talking on screen for 10 to 12 minutes while the match is happening. It's a bit nonsense. Sensical. Um, there's a lot of things that I think they're they're missing, and it does not feel like it is unique to ESPN. Though I feel like this is a this is a broadcaster challenge. I think TC Tennis Channel comes out into the microscope for this stuff as well. Uh, the reason I think TSN in Canada excels is because it is it is no frills in the sense that they are relying on the world feeds and just letting them do their business. Like if you want to watch what's happening on John Kane Arena, there's a feed just to watch what's happening on John Kane Arena. That's the international feed. That's great. That's all we want. We don't need someone sitting at a lectern talking about the future matches or what's to come. I don't think that analysis is completely useless, but I think for me, I really enjoy the opportunity to just watch a set a court or focus on a court and know what I'm going to get. I feel like there's this binary that exists in this sort of talking head coverage that is, I think a lot of broadcasters struggle to find a balance of. And there's the incredibly knowledgeable, technical, analytical side of things where a lot of people get really in depth about it. And then there's the complete opposite side of it, which is just entertainment for entertainment's sake and sometimes loud and wacky and sometimes all over the place. And trying to find where your coverage sits on that is really difficult. And oftentimes I find with the programming, especially around tennis, they just hover in the middle and it becomes this banal vanilla nothing. It just becomes mashed potato, bland mashed potato in the middle. And it's just boring and it's not really essential to anything. So I think if I was trying to look at this, lean into one of those more. I don't care what it is, but try and pick a lane and stay in it. 
Speaking of bland mashed potatoes, uh, John McEnroe and Cliff Drysdale both <laughs> cover themselves in glory uh, this week. About the Novak discourse and in general, I think Johnny Mac is a he's a lightning rod in many ways. I know there's a segment of the tennis fan, possibly fans like us, Bush, who are like done with the Johnny Mac shtick and don't really care for it anymore. But I thought in instances like this, when they're talking about Novak and being um, representatives of the sport, I think Johnny Mac has talked about that a lot as as being one of those vanguards of the sport. Uh, for better or for worse, he is. He still is a face of it. So they they matter in the sense that I think the way they talked about Novak, like Cliff Drysdale, man, I don't know if you want to explain his explanation of, of what, where he, think, he thought things went wrong. But in a callback to us, banging on the drum of like, we need to evolve in this sport and, and kind of look at who we're talking to and look at who we're covering it for. I found it interesting that these two guys were still being put forward as voices to talk about this because I'm not sure it is their place. Well, I, I think you're right. And I think whenever we get into conversations about representation, oftentimes people can just sort of bang the drum that it's representation for representation's sake. And then you get into a situation where you do have two elderly dudes who are prior accounts, very wealthy, trying to have a conversation about a, a topic which they are completely uninformed about. Like th- they obviously have opinions and it's worth uh, at least examining those, but presenting those people as the face of a discourse behind this, presenting them as authority figures on it, when neither of them, I think, remotely presented themselves and gave a good account of themselves on national television. You mentioned John McEnroe. I sent you a message during the course of the week and I, I feel f- firmly to stand by this language. I thought it was an embarrassing 10 minutes. I thought it was one of the most embarrassing 10 minutes I've seen on an ESPN broadcast in a long time. You effectively let a grown man-child who did not know how to make an opinion or could not formulate an opinion know that he was he was emotional to the point that it was so nonsensical, the things that he was saying. And that presented as the front of your national broadcast for an Australian Open and a big Grand Slam was utterly embarrassing. And Dev, we have to do better than this as a sport. Right. And I think Cliff Strasdale was making some equivalencies to Serena Williams and what she has battled. What What the hell was he talking about? Yeah, like, I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't know what he was chatting about. I think it was the the need to balance the fact that Novak Djokovic is an important person in this sport and he remains that. And I think they both in their own ways were trying to hammer that home to a point which missed several. And and Johnny Mac talking about um being removed from tournaments and like this this person has been removed from tournaments himself and and for way different reasons. But I found it interesting as he is the person that we're we're calling upon to talk about this when he has he has been in a situation where he did not handle things properly at all and found himself in the same position as Novak. I think in that instance it is interesting to hear his viewpoint, but I understood there to be no no real uh not contrition, but like thought process into seeing why this might have happened to Novak outside of the fact that he is a big tennis star. We need him in this sport. He's good for our game, quote unquote, which I know he loves to say. It just, I thought I missed the mark. And unfortunately, it kind of just, it piles into a lot of my old critiques of, of the way tennis is covered by the bigger networks. I mean, why is it written that men must commentate on men's matches and women must commentate on women's matches outside of maybe Chris Fowler doing a women's match? I saw a tweet from the Hold On To Your Rocket podcast um, making this point. And again, Bush, it's like, what are we doing here? If you got the best analysts and it's it's not a, a male... Have her broadcast the big match. That's your your feature primetime match that features Rafael Nadal or Daniil Medvedev. Who cares? Like it's 
it's weird because I think tennis has so many opportunities to be beyond this and move beyond this in ways other sports do not. And they continue to do the old thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's a debate and a topic that we have to keep having, especially on shows like this, on just in the broader tennis media in general, because I think the, by and large, the quote unquote product, to use that horrible terminology, has to get better. And in the case of both Drysdale and McEnroe, I think they knew they were emotional, but they didn't know why they were emotional. And trying to work through that on national television in front of everyone is pretty rubbish, to be honest. You you have to know why you're going. And you have such a, a condensed period of time to go in, in front of camera and articulate a point. And there's a skill to it. It's a very different skill set to talking for 60 minutes on a podcast. Talking for you know 30 to 120 seconds in front of a camera trying to articulate very specific points is a skill set. And it's one that they both massively failed at during the course of this week. The secondary point that you are making about having your best people commentate on matches, how is this just not the standard? I don't understand. Why do you, and I guess it's a ranking system that they have internally. Maybe it's a hierarchy thing. Maybe it's a who's been there longer sort of thing. Some of these people are just not good, Dev, and it's making for pretty bad coverage. Feels like an easy win, but what do we know? Um, speaking of media coverage and new things, perhaps lifting this sport out of the, uh, the cranky old abyss, Netflix is there. Simon, Netflix is recording. Netflix is following certain people. We learn through Ben Rothenberg, Taylor Fritz is being followed, as is Stefano Sissipas. Irina Savalenka, of course, is being followed as well. That should be fascinating, given what Savalenka has gone through the last few months um, off the court as well. It seems like Nick Kyrgios is being followed as well, based on his reply to Ben saying he's he's in the mix and his exploits with Kokonakis and doubles. I'm sure if that was captured by the cameras, it'll be great stuff. What do you think, Simon? I, I saw Taylor Fritz react to a, a Ben tweet, maybe claiming that he was hamming it up for the cameras after his um, collapse celebration after beating Foe. Fritzy just saying I had a huge cramp because I planted too hard on my leg, which sounds understandable. But is this the Netflixization of tennis? Is it happening? Well, in the case of Fritz, no. <laughs> he was clearly no, I, yeah, genuine. <laughs> like, no, my leg was gone, sir. My leg was gone. <laughs> which I, I think it was. I think it was genuinely one of the funniest moments I saw this week. Where <laughs> he won your heart. I'm telling Taylor Fritz, he was going to get you one day, Simon, and I'm glad it happened finally. I think there is a there is a wider discussion to really dig into the, the edges of this, of what happens when someone knows the camera's on them, when they know that they're being followed. I'm curious to see how this, this nets out when we see the first episode or see the first few episodes of specific players who are followed and how that manifests itself into either pressure points or it manifests itself how they present themselves to the wider public. Because this is a level of access that's not been given in the sport before. And these are points of view that we've not heard of. And, and let's be honest, we know... Some things about Taylor Fritz and Anya Sabalenka and Stefano Sissipas, some of it good, quite a lot of it bad, let's be honest, but <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on quickly from that. And I think how that how they choose to present themselves in front of a camera is going to be fascinating. I'm really am very excited about that because as a sport, after just coming off the back of a segment where we were talking about needing to evolve in a certain way, this is an example of it. And I think that's very positive for where we are. And you know what else is positive? I guess just touching on this, I love the behind the scenes cameras. It's a bit invasive. It's a little, you know, voyeuristic, but the fact that we're seeing, uh, you know, players in the locker room walking out 
after a loss or a win, yeah. you know, high-fiving up with the coaches, seeing the training rooms, all this sort of stuff. I think it's really good. I'm, I'm genuinely enjoying it. I got extreme uh, AEW vibes from Daniel Medvedev walking back and basically being like, yeah, I was working the crowd. Like, I don't I don't really mean it, but you know, I'm trying to give them something. I'm trying to make them make them go. And I'm like, this is fascinating stuff because we'll talk about that, his comments in general a bit later. But we want to talk about heels and, and storylines and getting to know players and, and seeing what what's real and what's not and, what, and what's a lark and what's not. I, I find... This kind of footage, amazing. And I'm all for it and hook it to my veins. I thought he has handled himself in a very provocative way this week. And any interview that you watch from him when he's actually sitting down and being very concise and articulate, this is a very smart dude. Like this is not someone who is just a complete and utter, you know, dumbass out there. He knows what he's doing. Um, no, I'm not fully going in for the, you won't understand what level he's working on. You just don't understand <laughs> the level he's on. But He's, he's playing chess. He's he playing is. Chess. He's, we're playing checkers, yeah. Uh, but he, I think, has been very, very entertaining this week. And his reaction in week two is going to be very entertaining from the Melbourne crowd. And I can't wait for it. I think we're going to move some of this stuff we have um, into parting shots, Bush, just because for time reasons. But I, I did want to touch on Craig Tiley speaking finally. Um, yeah. Craig Tiley keeping a low profile, understandably so, to the point where it's like, he is definitely getting sacked, I feel like, pretty soon. But he did answer some questions with Aussie TV. He said Novak will be back for 2023. He loves his tournament, quote unquote, um, which whatever the hell that means. But I also found it very interesting that fans at the Australian Open wearing shirts that featured the slogan, whereas Peng Shui were asked to remove them by the Australian Open officials, by security. I see this all over the place. And I think people wearing Novak shirts were asked to remove them as well. There's certain signs back in uh, a couple of weeks ago. But I, I found this this news article, Simon, quite upsetting and also par for the course when it comes to major corporations or major entities and um, controversial, quote unquote, things like this, where the Chinese Communist Party is seemingly offended by this. And these these people are taking actions to make sure that they are not implicated um, in any way by having people remove their shirts, which is just like, what the hell? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like, we talked about balance last week, didn't we, about how this tug and pull about trying to offer balance in terms of a, a tournament and saying that, you know, one thing is fine for one and not for another, but like, all right, we're not going to do anything for anyone. And I think that nets out when you see, you know, a free Novak t-shirt and a where is Peng Shui t-shirt. These are not the same thing. There is not an equivalent here. Like one is much more serious than another. And it's, it's just uh, another example, I think, of it being a sport that doesn't quite know where it is in terms of how to police, not, not necessarily police this stuff, but engage with this stuff in some capacity. It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because as an entity, as a corporate entity, which is what the Australian Open is here, they would rather there be no politics at all involved in any of this. So like, if they, if they could flat out just BLM, get it out of here, no thank you, like that doesn't exist, they would be happy to do that. But the repercussions of that would be bad. So they have to incorporate it into the platform, into the, into the you know, what the event is. And there's like some things which are allowed and some things which are definitely not allowed. And we saw that during the course of the week. Yeah. It reminds me of Major League Soccer 
banning the anti-fascist uh, mm. logo right. from their stadiums, which is like, so does that mean you're pro-fascist or what? Like, I don't understand what the thought was in the meeting that was held to to settle this issue. In the video, one of the security guards is quoted, Tennis Australia does, does set the rules, and regardless of what you're saying, and I'm not saying you can't have those views, but I am saying that Tennis Australia sets the rules here. That's pretty much it. That's a private corporation. Do yeah. what they want, right? I guess. Uh <laughs> We, we'll get to more of this in Parting Shots, like I mentioned, but coming up next after the break, we rate some losses out of five. I'm very excited to do this. We've lost a lot of good players so far in Melbourne. Obviously, there's plenty remaining to playing at the business end of the tournament, but we talk about the week that was for Andy Murray, Sophia Kennan, Karatsev, Kontivit, Rajukani, Fernandez, all of them coming up next on Open Era. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Open Air Podcast. Well, Simon, our predictions, some good, some not good. I picked on Jibura to shock the world, and literally seconds later, she pulled out of the tournament, which goes down as the worst Open Air prediction of 2022. I know it's early, but um, I don't think that's going to be beaten. I, I'm pretty confident in that. Yes, the worst open era prediction so far. So far. <laughs> yeah. Give it uh, give it time. Deep run for Andy Murray, I said, in the dream world. I know that was a third McMahon panel, so not something that we expected. So I get some credit here, but I I felt poorly watching Andy in the Taro Daniel match and realizing he wasn't up to it and losing to a player outside the top 100, which hasn't happened to him at a grand slam, I think was also something that phased him. But before Andy would get to Naomi Osaka, Bush, the defending champion, will not defend her title. Amanda Anisimova knocking her out. Amanda Anisimova, who had a good run herself. I think Ash Barty's on a different level right now. But we begin with Osaka rating this loss out of five. Is is one not concerning, five concerning? What is the scale here? I think you're right. Yeah, let's go with that as okay. a scale. So okay. one is, uh, you know, it's okay. No alarm bells. Five is fully ring the alarm bell emoji at that point. Done. Let's start with Naomi then. 
you're allowing me to go first on this one. Just I am, to, yes. to get sucked into my own game here. It's very kind of you. <laughs> um, this is a difficult one to rate. I actually think out of all of them, this is one of the hardest ones to to figure out because she shouldn't lose that match. As much as as well as Anisimova played, and I think she's played exceptionally this week. She really has. She's Her ball striking's been excellent. Just the players that she's beaten in general, there's no shame in losing to someone who's having a good week like that and striking the ball as well. Osaka should win this match. And realistically, you can talk about where she is at her career, what she's coming back from, the injuries, the fact that she pulled out last week. All of those would have played a factor here. But I think she still, still should have won this match. Um, so I'm going to put this as a, a roundabout four in terms of the loss of how bad it is. but And that's quite a bad loss. And I was about to push back slightly because I think without the match play, it's hard, I think, to close on some of the points that she should have won. Because I think I'm, I think you're, you're right. She should have won that match and she had opportunities to do so. Um, I think it's a four, though, because of the points that she was defending and where she finds herself now in the rankings. She's she's down there, but she's in the 90s. Um and I know we've, we've talked about Serena dropping down a lot uh, due to not playing, but I think Naomi freshly off winning a major one year ago and being at that level now finding herself um, that far down, obviously because of last year and taking some time off, like it, it's a road back. And I think the the lack of match play hurt her in the Inisimova match. Um, should she have withdrawn from the lead up tournament if she wasn't that injured? It's a question to ask now, because I think at the time we read it as a smart move to pace yourself and, and wait, perhaps, till those big moments. But you can't get to those big moments if you can't get through the third round. And I know it's a tough draw, but in the WTA, there's a tough draw every week because there's just too too many good players that can take you out on their day. So I think four is fair. And I mean, the next read on uh, where Naomi's at might not come for a while either because we might have to wait for a few weeks. Yeah. I thought she had some good quotes, though, coming out of it. I fought for every point. I can't be sad about it. I'm not God. I can't win every match. I just have to take that into account and know that it would be nice to win the tournament, but that's really special. I can't win the Grand Slam at the start of the year every time, which I think is true. I mean, objectively, that is legitimately true. You, You can't win every match. You can't win every tournament. However, this is a good surface that suited you really well. The draw opened up fairly well for you and you lost to a player that you probably should have should have beaten. It's it's tough, right? It's a tough loss, which I think ultimately four seems fair on that one. I'm mad. I'm mad. Not at anyone personally. I'm mad we didn't get to see Party Osaka. Yeah, I think that's that would have been I'm mad at the cosmos. I think I'm mad. Uh, uh, Why? Okay. Um Andy Murray. Bush, I mentioned him. Uh he played Nicholas Bashes really for the 90th time in the last six weeks. Uh, he won that match, but I think we were looking at a potential date with the Yannick Sinner in round three as a real test to see where Andy is at, but he didn't make it there. Losing to Taro Daniel, like I mentioned, in straight 6-4, 6-4, 6-4 qualifier, Taro Daniel. Andy, a bit despondent, Bush, in his presser. Um, I think this is a three, though. It's not It's not end of the world, but it's not a nothing result. I think he really did want to make a run here. And I think the way he lost and who he lost to makes this a three for me. If he's struggling with this level of opponent um, in a best of five match, I think that is kind of writing on the wall for what his prospects are are for slams. I think he was a bit flat. I think that was the thing I, I took away from that match against Daniel is that I think he put a lot into that first match against Bashlesvili. And 
physically wise, I thought he he looked all right. He looked fine, and mm -hmm. the dude trains for this sort of thing and has obviously run deep here before and is in pretty good shape by all accounts. Anyone who's spoken about like what his training <laughs> regime, even even um, now, by all accounts. <laughs> By all accounts, yeah. Well, you never know, right? Like, like he's, the dude has a metal hip. You never know how much he can actually train at this point. But coming back for the injury, it sounds like he's still at a physical stage or level that he can go, you know, multiple five setters and, and be running deep in a tournament. He just looked flat, man. Like, and it's really tough to get yourself up after you put so much effort into a five setter, the highs and lows of it against, let's be honest, a dude that he really would have wanted to beat because I'm imagining that he doesn't have the highest of regards for Nicholas mm -hmm. Bachelors, really. Um, and then Tarodanga just played a, a solid, solid match. There's no way, real way to describe it other than that, is that sometimes you can just lose after having a breaker serve in every set and be like, well, I didn't play badly, I didn't play well, and I just lost. And that's kind of what happened here. Give me a number on the Murray scale then. <sighs> I think three is fair. Yeah. I think three is fair. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't a good loss. You don't, you don't feel positive coming away from it as a loss, do you? You really don't. You don't feel like you can win the moral victory and be like, you know, I played so well, I hit more winners than unforced errors and all this sort of thing. So three is probably reasonable. I think it's about the scoreline. If this is a five-setter and, and he was unable, unable to close at the end, I think we have a different outlook on this. But because it was so pedestrian, I think three is fair. Um, Sophia Kennan, speaking of uh, past champions here, Losing to Madison Keys, which in hindsight is no shame because Madison Keys is keying the hell out of the ball right now and finds herself in the quarterfinals after a really down 2021, which is great to see. But it's interesting that we have Madison Keys to contrast Sophia Kennan with Bush because Sophia Kennan, like Naomi Saka, drops a hell of a way down the rankings. Um, this is a different vibe, though, from from Naomi Osaka. I, I'm putting this at a, at a five because I think there's a lot of other stuff going on around Sophia Kennan. And I, I found some of the the coverage regarding her a bit over the top and sad and, and kind of mirroring how people were speaking of Madison Keys last year. Um, but I, I don't see the way back for Sophia like I did for Madison Keys weapons-wise and game-wise. So I'm not sure if we see Sophia Cannon at the same heights again like we did um, not a short time ago. I think when you win the tournament in 2020 and lose in round one, it's a five automatically. Although I have to say, given just everything that she's been through from an injury perspective and the ups and downs of maybe a coaching change-ish, who knows what is going on in the camp, you know, who knows what that looks like? I, I, I'm a little more lenient, although she is going to be in the 90s, her ranking. I think she's 91, I believe I saw. This is a really bad loss, a really, really bad loss against a player, honestly, who should not have been, who, who shouldn't be where she is. Like Madison Key shouldn't be in the 50s, 60s in the world. She's better than that. She's much more talented than that. And especially on this surface, we've seen the run that she's put together and we didn't predict her having a good week for nothing. Like there was legitimate pedigree behind that sort of thing. It's a bad loss for Kenan though. It's a bad, bad loss. She got grouped. She got grouped in the soccer parlance though. I feel like Madison Keys was the absolute worst person to play first. And when you're trying to build confidence and you've got a zillion points to defend, potentially a new sponsor to rep, and you're trying to rebuild um, after a down year, 
Yeah, I don't like to see it. I truly hate to see it unironically. And I do hope that we do see Sofia Kennan back um, in big tournaments playing for big titles. But I'm I'm not that optimistic, which I, I hate to say in January of 2022, <laughs> but here we are. Um, Aslan Karatsa, Bush, Hydrogen Man, a big, uh, we're a big fan of his. I actually, I think I watched every match he had in, in its entirety uh, this week, which is nuts. And I, I do not... Do not recommend that to many people, but Jaime Munar to start really kicking the tournament off with a bang. Azil, I think he did the Chamberlain. He was over 100 unforced errors. <laughs> Mackie McDonald, he found his way after a wayward first set, but he's played against a very steady competitor in Andre Manorino and just could not find his way. Um, I'm putting this as a two though, because I think the, the brand that Aslan plays with is his brand. Like that's it. If the courts are nice and he's feeling the ball and it's and if the temperatures are right, I I think pound and ground is his way and he's going to hit the piss out of the ball and it is going to go out a lot, but that's just it and I think you got to love it or, or leave it. Yeah, indeed. So Andre Manorino, very funny by the way, Adrian Manorino. Adrian Manorino? Did I call him Andre? <laughs> Andre. Yeah. <laughs> that's very abusing. Uh, by the way, Manorino at the end of that match against. Uh, Karatsev, one of the best quotes of the year. Fuck, I don't feel good. <laughs> yeah, <that's so> good. <laughs> After being on court for whatever it was, like five hours or some ridiculous length of time. It was pretty entertaining. Karatsev had himself a tournament, didn't he? <laughs> Highs and lows all over the place, winning hearts and minds, hitting over a hundred unforced errors. What a what a brand of tennis to watch. I loved it. It's not a it's not a bad loss. You do think being the 18th seed, he probably should win that. Although you saw the way that Manorino played in that first set against Nadal, given the conditions and given the way that he moved the ball around, he's just a really tricky customer to play against. So there's no shame in losing to him. A real pest. pest. Yeah. Very, very, very good pest. That, that tiebreaker was insane, by the way. That absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Completely ridiculous. Uh, I'll give this as a two as well. And I think that feels reasonable. Not disagreeing at all, which is some some of our haters have said this is classic Simon and Devang. We're just doing the same shit over and over again. But <laughs> run it back, people. Run it back. It's fine. And I'll 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 rue calling him Andre Manorino for a long time. I won't be able to shake that. But maybe we'll have some diversions here. Coco Goff losing early. Uh, I found Coco Goff's presser after she lost. Uh, to be one of the more enlightening. She lost to Wang Kiang in the first round. I think the first seed to lose technically on the women's side. But the quote, Simon, I need to play more free uh, from Coco Goff following the loss. You know, when you you got the weight of expectations and we use that term to describe Coco Goff for a while now, but everything is supposed to be something and and nothing is supposed to be everything. Um, Play tennis like it's supposed to be played, not feel like every point is your last or writing uh, or every point is is it means the world, I think, is something of an adjustment and almost hard to do when you're that young. Um, I'm calling this as a four rather than a lower number because I wonder if this adjustment period will take Coco Goff a while and it'll be sometime before that that comfort level hits and she's able to just play easy and play through herself and not feel like everything will come crashing down with a loss maybe to a point that naomi has reached where she does feel comfortable just rolling with the punches 
not an easy time to be Coco Goff, really, right? Like dumped in the first round of the doubles as well. And that didn't look great in that performance as well, admittedly against two good players. But I think she hit 40 unforced errors in that first round loss. So pretty, pretty bad, honestly. And it's been a really difficult six months for her across the board. I I see where you're going with the four. I actually would put this at a five given how, how badly she played in this one. And she looks completely and utterly lost. Turns 18 in a month's time as well. It it bears repeating that she's incredibly young. That this yeah. is ridiculous. The idea that you could have this, the level of expectation that you have. But you see, we contrast this against her peers, right? And we contrast this against who has taken the step and who's, who's won Grand Slams already at that age. Sviantek, Raducanu, uh, Andrescu, all of these players who were teenagers when they were winning Grand Slams. She's not far away from that. To follow that same trajectory, she should be winning Grand Slam this year. I don't know whether that's a comparison that makes it useful, but it's also one of those that these are what she's judged up against. So getting dumped in the first round with 40 unforced errors against a player should have beaten. Feels like a bad loss. Feels like a five to me. I mean, speak of the teens, uh, Leila Fernandez fell in the first round. Uh, yeah, that's a bad loss. To, to <laughs> that's Matt, a bad one. To Maddie Inglis, uh, Emma Raducanu fell in the second round. My bold prediction of them meeting in the semifinals did not happen. Thank you very much. Uh, Kovacic, it's a tough matchup. That was a good match um, it overall. Was. But yep. Clara Tossin was the only team to make it to the third uh, to the third round, and and she fell to Danielle Collins in another tough third setter. So three setters. So maybe can't write all the teens off yet. But let's get to the the Rajukani Fernandez aspect of it. Um, what's your rating for those two, Simon? I think they're both fives, honestly. Like I really uh, genuinely too. Like these are these are bad losses for players that should be beating the caliber of player they are up against. It's been an interesting ride for the Raducanu experience, especially with all of the talk about needing time and, and and all these sort of things, which I think is legitimately true. And I think the pressure that comes with winning a Grand Slam at that age. Having said that, you're not supposed to lose in the second round on a t- of a tournament when you are the US Open champion. You're not supposed to do that. And we can talk about moral victories all you want. I think the same thing is true with Leilani Fernandez as well. You're not supposed to lose in round one to a player that you're supposed to beat. And you're not going to win every match, but goodness me, like I think we have to have higher expectations of these players. We can't treat them with kid gloves, right? It's it's one of those situations that there's been so much talk about yeah, effectively yeah. wrapping both of these players in cotton wool. I don't. I think it does them a disservice, right? It takes away some of their, their agency as players and it makes them, it almost diminishes what they're capable of. I think we should have higher expectations for the pair of them. I'm a bit stuck on this because, like, I I agree. Generally, I agree that. I mean, what are we doing here? Like, what what are we we're talking about tennis? So we're talking about tennis in this way because I think we're commenting on on the sport that many people care about, including obviously these players who are now in a certain place in their lives based on their skill in tennis, and like they have this this platform because of how good they are. So how else would we judge where they're at? Um, I, I think for Raducanu, it's higher. I think it is a five. I think for Leila Fernandez, I wonder, I found the way she reacted to this loss very heartening. And I think this weight of expectations that it will afflict all of these youngsters who have who have great expectations will handle them differently. And I, Leila signed five or six international deals or big brand deals in the last couple of weeks um, with some heavy hitters. 
when the losses start coming, I think those those deals end up becoming almost like a, a sideshow and like what what is going on here? And I kind of felt the same way when when Bianca was going through this. How's Layla going to react uh, in a couple of weeks when then the results don't come and she signed these deals, right? So I, I think Emma Rajikant is already there for me. And I, I think Layla is a four in the sense that I'm not ready to, to say that coming second place gives her some time, I think. A little more time than a defending U.S. Open champion. Fair or unfair? That's where I feel. It's your opinion, man. I, I back you. I back you completely. Again, yes, we don't we don't disagree enough, do we? Sorry, we've got to try and create some drama. <laughs> and that kind of it, uh, sad. And that kind of it not being able to capitalize really on an incredible end of 2021. But she did run into Clara Tossin, who I think we, we talked about. Keep it Clara. She's she's going to be a star, no doubt. Um, Paola Badosa could even be lumped in here as well, Bush. I mean, Madison Keys took out a bunch of people. Uh, with reckless abandon, but is the curse of the end of season run real? Do you believe it? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, mm, frowns, deep frowns. frowns. Uh, um, I'll answer my own question. It's not real. It's just the tennis calendar doesn't exist. There is no tennis calendar. How about that? It's yeah, all. Okay. It's all in our minds, guys. There what is, is the no tennis. Spoon. What is the tennis calendar? What is it? When does it stop? When does it begin? When is it over? How about I choose to to not answer your question by saying Perfect. that Annette Conteve's loss is a roundabout solid two because Clara Dawson played fantastically. She just basically blew her off the court and just played a really solid match overall. A lot of players are going to get beaten by Clara Dawson at some point during the course of this week and be uh, course of this year and be made to look pretty average. You could say that the fact that Conteve was on the run that she was on and higher expectations mm-hmm. were placed upon her in this tournament that you could raise it slightly. I just thought she played against a player who played better than her. And it happens. It, it, it happens, right? Like, and this is not a, an average, you know, player ranked 80 in the world that we had the expectation that she's, that she'll be there forever. We think that Clara Tosin is going to be a top five player at some point during her career. So it's not a bad loss. I think Tosin, Danielle Collins was one of the matches of the first week for me. That was mm-hmm. excellent. Excellent match. Some extreme grunting as well, um, which I know we all love. Uh, <laughs> ATP wise, Bush, we got a couple of names here. Killer Cam Nori. Oh man, <laughs> this is a bad one. We got a phony alert. We got a phony. <laughs> I I, lo- I I refuse to list Lloyd Harris here because I no one comes <laughs> after my boy Lloyd. But Killer Cam Nori getting rinsed by Seb Corda. Bush bagged in the second set. Came into the slam, his highest seeding ever. I think this is a five. I think it's a five as well. Seb Corda played really, really well. This is just a this is a bad loss, right? A beatdown. It's a beatdown. Yeah. It is a a bad, bad loss when you're the twelfth seed and you're getting beaten by a guy who you you expect to be competitive with. I don't. I wouldn't have expected. Uh, like this, this is not a bad loss if it goes to five, right? Like in this, at least showed Correct. some competitiveness. Correct. But being bageled by by this dude, come on, you've got to do better than that. Carlos Alcaraz, Bush. I know, I wonder how it feels for you. Cause like, this is like you loving a band that's really cool and hip. And then they get mainstream exposure. Uh, the band goes to the gym a lot and starts working out and develops crazy muscles. So like they are now uh, like uh, the sex appeals off the charts and people are like, Oh, we love you, Carlos. But you were on the ground floor watching him um, in the very early days on really grainy streams. 
Uh, a, the monomorphosis is shocking. I, 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 what is the weight regimen he is on? Um, and B, how disappointed were you to see him go out the way he did? I think I'm recreating the You Belong With Me video from Taylor Swift, right? <laughs> oh, God. I have the big oh, glasses on. He's, uh, <laughs> he's working out in the window opposite me. Yeah, this is getting a bit weird. Let's back off from it slightly. Oh, Carlos, can't you see? You belong with me. Um, so troubling. Keep it going. is so troubling <laughs> on so many levels. <laughs> he looked every bit like he was ready to take the next step during this tournament. And I think one of the, one of the, one of the most fascinating part of it was his game management. Admittedly, the loss against Berrettini, I think we can all chalk up as being a, a learning experience, a quote unquote learning experience mm-hmm. that you have for a young Love player. Um, sets three and four were incredibly impressive to see the tennis brain on this kid. Who knows whether or not it wasn't just Juan Carlos Ferrer whispering down from the box to take some pace off of the ball and to put more spin on it and basically force Berrettini to generate all of his own power. If that was a coaching decision, then, you know, whatever. But if this came from Alcaraz's brain directly, really, really well thought thought out match to be down two sets to love and be able to come back the way that he did to work and generate points the way that he, he put it together it is a match that I think he probably will look back and think he should have won. This was a very, very big step though in his development. And it's one of those that I think we'll look back next year and the numbers against each of these players' names will be quite different. I think, well, Berrettini's one. I think it'll still be around the 10 mark. I think Alcaraz will be pretty close to it as well. Shouts to Matteo Berrettini. Um, Uberly consistent. I think that's one of the, the greatest things you can say about him on any surface, which I wasn't sure was going to be the case, to be honest. Uh, he's the first male player born in the 90s to reach the quarterfinals at all four slams. Does not have a win against a top 10 player at a slam, which is another thing. But I think that consistency deserves his plaudits. And there's a reason why I think he is going to be a step for someone like a Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, much like we saw in the past generation of players, uh, some Thomas Burditch vibes from Matteo Berrettini in terms of consistency. I think this is a this is a two. It's a it's a promising loss, and I'm glad he went out the way he did, fighting back from two sets down. So I, I back your boy Bush um, quickly. Diego Schwartzman, I'm shocked you listed him here. As soon as I saw Diego Schwartzman in the draw, I was like, ooh, Krajinovic. Krajinovic would have a shot to push him out, but he managed to survive that match. But Chris O'Connell, someone who I'm not that familiar with, I thought he was an actor. I think that was Chris O'Donnell who I was referring to, the um, the American actor. But Chris O'Connell, Aussie, taking Diego to the woodshed and straights. What do you give Schwartzman for his early exit? Wasn't he the lead singer of Soundgarden? Is that right? He's <laughs> Luis Saez. <laughs> It's very close. Um, yeah, it's... it's. I don't know, man. Like, how do you rate a Diego Schwartzman loss? Is anything going to be worse than losing to a guy who wasn't ranked? A colleague of mine, a colleague of mine had a huge parlay of like a million guys playing in the early rounds. And everything looked fine, except for Diego Schwartzman, who I'm like, I don't know. I, I feel like Krajinovic would cause problems. And he didn't, but yet... One match after that was it. I just feel no confidence sometimes watching Diego Schwartzman. And I admire a lot about him and, and his story is excellent. And he's a 
I watched in December. I watched some of the interviews he was doing, and he's a very fascinating guy. Like I'm rooting for him, but in terms of the tennis play on the court, I do not find it that inspiring, and I, I don't have much confidence in him in slams or on hard courts. I'm putting this as a one. This is not right. a bad loss. Oh, like, this um, is, <laughs> nothing will ever beat the unranked player that he lost to. A player that was literally like me playing against Diego Schwartzman. A player they found. They found him. And they're like, can you play? Okay, we, we'll end with two bigger cats, bigger fishes in the sea, I guess. Um, the Kyrgios Bush played Daniel Medvedev well. I, speaking of quotes, uh one of the funniest things I've heard in a, in a post-match presser. Um, moderator, any more questions? Nick, what are you having for dinner? Quote, I don't know, man. Fucking Daniil serve straight down my throat. <laughs> that, that was so good. Um, put up a fight, but that's pretty much what we expect from Nick Kyrgios against a big gun at a slam, right? A lot of, lot of guffaws, a lot of banter, a lot of drama, a lot of fun. But ultimately, that's it. Yeah, I mean, this is a one, isn't it, in terms of a loss? This is a, you got the whole package. You got to see the whole experience. And uh, that's kind of all you can say. Entertain the crowd, kept it, kept it 100 the entire time. And uh, a a willing loss, an entertaining loss. This is, that is the Nick Kyrgios experience in a nutshell. Uh, and I think he's okay with that. I mean, find your peace. I think I've said this on the show a lot of times, but like I, if Nick's okay with it, I'm okay with it. Not everyone has to be a machine working in the lab at all hours of the day to refine their game and become superhuman because I don't think everyone wants to do that. And that's why we have some people who win a lot and some people who don't win as much. And that, again, is fine because you can choose your own adventure in this beautiful game we call life, Simon. Um <laughs> I give it a I give it a point five even if that's true. What I wonder how long Nick keeps playing tour full time in terms of tennis. He called the sport soft, soft, soft in regards to a <laughs> dust up with the Croatian doubles team that he and, and Kokonakis knocked out. Their coaches went after them in the locker room, which again I hope Netflix was there. Like that's great. We need this. Needed one more soft in there though. A fourth soft would have been better. Um, we conclude Simon with the biggest fraud of all, perhaps. Alexander Zverev gets smoked <laughs> by Denis Shapovalov. The night train came, baby. It came for him. Uh, Alexander Zverev is now, you want to hear a stat, Bush? 4-15 in slams against top 20 players. 4-15, Simon. <laughs> is this your new big three? Excuse me? Uh, I just want to say, this, regarding this match... Um, People talking about the backhand for Chapo and like, can it hold up in these matches? And like, can he survive? Even though it's a good shot for him, uh, Chapo hit a zillion forehands in this match, and they were coming out like firecrackers. Um, it's a wonderful shot. Matt Rackett wrote a fantastic piece on this match at his Substack, which I advise you to check out. Um, you, when you come into a gunfight. And you've got the weapon Chapo has, boy, oh boy, and they're firing. Look out. But Alexander Zverev, the emperor has no clothes. Where are the weapons, man? Where are the weapons for a, a big giant like this? Huh? In a match like this? I feel like the best comparison you can make for someone like Dennis Shapovalov, he's a big American muscle car. He's a you know, big Mustang, big engine. GT40. He's a exactly, GT40 right? or something. Yeah, yeah. And you point him in a straight line. And he's going to fucking kill you, right? Like straight, <laughs> not to 60, not to 100. Yeah. 
the minute you ask him to turn a corner, we've got problems going Break, on. Break, baby. Breaks. <laughs> all gas, no one asked no, no one break. asked the night train to turn, all right? No one asked the night train to turn. And then we you might have to turn a bit against Rafa Nadal, but that's that's for another day. I'm putting this as a three for Zverev because I'm not shocked. I'm not that shocked at all. Well, there's there's two sides here, right? There's the third seed who was very much heavily favoured, the top half of the draw that didn't contain the defending champion. Many people had expectations that he was going to go on and win this tournament. From that perspective, it's a five. From the perspective of any historical data, <laughs> Alexander Zverev's <laughs> record less, at Grand Slam. Less than that. Less this, than is, that. this is a solid two, maybe even a one. Like eventually this was going to happen. If he ends up testing positive for COVID soon, I would not be shocked either, though, because he did something did not look right. And he did talk about not being tested at all at this <laughs> tournament, which we'll get to, which we'll get to next because we're running long. OK, we'll wrap up a jam packed open era, as always, with our parting shots coming up next. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Open Era Podcast, Simon. It's that time again. Parting shots. You know, Carlos Boozer painting his hair on that time. The NBA basketball player while he's with the Chicago Bulls was an iconic moment. I think I still have the JPEG saved on an old cell phone of mine just in case I needed it. Um, just, you know, to have. Just to be like, hey, remember this? Did you remember seeing this? We got it again this week. The Curios. What can't he do in terms of entertainments? Um, Pog, Pog World breaking it on his channel, <laughs> which went super viral. Uh, thoughts on Harrogate? Uh, it was inevitable, wasn't it? It really was. Uh, it's. We started the show talking about Cliff Drysdale, the original, <laughs> <laughs> the original jet black, perhaps using a can of spray paint to. Uh, to fully go for the black hair. Kyrgios, it was inevitable. We knew that it was coming. However, seeing his black goop drip from his forehead, it's not a good look, is it? It's not. I I have a lot of sympathy for people battling with with um how they look or like not feeling down with with maybe their appearance. That being said, when you're playing a sport like tennis, with a zillion cameras around you, I feel like it is a it is a tough look to pull off, especially in this sweltering sweltering Melbourne heat. It just wasn't going to work. I don't think it was going to work. I'm still laughing, by the way, at the back end of that last segment that we were talking about the Karios doubles partnership, the Coconut, where they. It's like, you know, when you, you have these people that are effectively like pricks to other people, and then they turn around and be like, you're so soft. Like, why, why are you <laughs> yeah, so soft? No. <laughs> like, shoving someone and then, why are you not getting up? Like, stop hitting yourself. <laughs> That's effectively what happened. And, like, I really hope when this is edited down, if the cameras did get it, we get the the full Australian bro <laughs> performance here. Like, and Kokonaka seems like the, the more subdued partner in this, but who knows? Maybe not. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, we missed this off the top. Bush 
vaccines are going to be mandatory at the French Open, it sounds like, by all accounts. I think there's a one more bill to be passed in the French Parliament. But boy, oh boy, Novak is going to have to... Novak bought 80% of some <laughs> drug maker in, in Norway that is producing a, a COVID treatment that is not a vaccine. Is this is the long game here to find a way to defeat COVID himself in order to not get vaxxed? Is this where we're at here? You know, like we keep making up stories or we, we think we know what's going to happen in this saga. I don't think anyone had on the list Novak Djokovic buying a pharmaceutical to try and <laughs> circumvent the rules to get one approved through the FDA. Amazing if that's the case. Fully like admire the admire the hustle. I really do. Champions go for it, right? This is the. Uh, but I, I just and I, all, I just have to say, if Rafael Nadal wins the twenty first slam at the Australian Open, the Australian Open that Novak Djokovic was forcibly removed from, boy oh boy, that is oh. Hope you are capturing it, Netflix. It's pretty funny. It's a pretty funny story. Uh, what's this about Riley Opelka's magic bottle of water? Sorry. Oh, this was the story about how Rothenberg was talking uh, on his Twitter channel regarding um, some players who were less than enthusiastic about having masks on during the course of the uh, press conferences or around the grounds. And one particular player was talking about carrying a, a water bottle around at all times so that he could claim that he was in the act of drinking or eating. Um most people suspected this was Riley Opelka, the fact that uh, the fact that Rothenberg said that it was to uh, obscure his beard. So pretty much everyone immediately went to Opelka, which is reasonable, I think, although many bearded players. Uh, and then Opelka find himself responding to the tweet saying, uh, important to stay hydrated. So uh, it perhaps goes to show you he's either being a massive troll or being a massive prick or being both. It's both. probably likely both, both yes. Denis Shapovalov beating every every enemy, every public enemy we could ask for at this tournament was not something I saw coming. But thank you, sir. He's downing them all. He's doing his best to uh, try and make it pick uh, his way through the draw. So, on that note, COVID-wise, Alexander Zverev um, saying, "Quote: We're not getting tested at the Australian Open." Says more players probably have COVID nineteen. Uh, a not that surprised. I think Hugo Umbert said he had tested positive for COVID the day after he lost to Richard Richard Gasquet, which it's a bit of shade on Richard Gasquet. I feel like like I, the only reason I lost to him is because I tested positive for COVID, but not a shock at all. And again, I'm pretty sure Zverev might have had COVID in that match against Shapovalov. But see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, right, Bush? If you can't test him. They don't count. And I think that's just how some of our governments have been acting as well. Not a surprise to see this year. No, not a surprise at all. It is kind of sad, though. And I think it's I think it's it's testament to the fact that how messaging has changed on this virus in the last sort of few months that most people were when you're hammered for two straight years on uh, numbers about people amount of people. And then you quickly move the goalpost to say, no, actually, what matters is the hospitalizations. And then everyone's still like, no, wait, like, I can't even get, a, I can't get a test, right? Like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, I don't, like, it's just difficult, right? I think we can understand the logic behind it if you sort of get dig deeper, but it's, it's testament to the fact that it's a lot harder to uh, change course when you've been told something so extensively for a large period of time, especially during the course of a pandemic like this, when everyone's scared. And 
again, this is a situation where maybe it isn't all that surprising that people aren't getting tested at an event like this, but you kind of wish they were just for peace of mind for the athletes that are going there and for the community that's around them. Ash Barty in vogue. Some good news, Bush. These fits uh, were tremendous. I, I see. I saw Carlos Alcaraz in um, the Spanish DQ as well. So a lot of tennis stars showing out. But the Ash Barty collection in the Jan version of Vogue. A lot of hits, Bush. I didn't see any misses, to be honest. No, all good fits. Good for her to get into Vogue as well, especially given that her uh, clothing provider has not usually put her in good outfits to save at Wimbledon, where I think they did a good job. Not sure they've done a good job at this tournament, but in Vogue, she looks fantastic. The outfits are great and uh, good for her. I The article is pretty good as well. I encourage everyone to take a read of it. And on a similar vein, Matera Berrettini <laughs> going for f- full sex uh, sex symbol status. The Hugo Boss move was calculated. Matteo, in a recent fashion shoot, getting everybody on tennis Twitter extremely thirsty. And I mean, justifiably so. I think it all makes sense, Bush. Everyone all got a bit hot under the collar, didn't they? It's all a bit <laughs> yeah. racy for, for tennis to take into consideration. Woof. Indeed, woof. It's a what a contrast seeing with Teo Berrettini um, in his grand splendid, grand splendor. I don't know if that's a thing. Um, beside ball kids who look like young police officers behind young cops, young cops dressed in Ralph Lauren garb. The fashion at this tournament has been a, a ball, just atrocious on a lot of levels. But the ball kids looking like young cops was not something I was I was impressed by. Yeah, I mean, just touching on the fashion quickly. Uh, Pass, we, we knew this was going to happen, right? The look is bad. Everyone knows it's bad. Adidas is, Adidas is wilding, man. Let's be honest here. Adidas, Adidas is wilding, full stop. I guess this comes to the backdrop of Barbara Kuchikova. Same outfit. Same gear. Same outfit Eco-friendly. the whole year. I love Eco-friendly. it. Eco-friendly, love that. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my friend about the Nike stuff. I, I think... The one Svitolina dress I saw was okay. Uh, and I love the, <laughs> I think they just let Rafa pick colors he likes. So it, it works. And like usually pick some pretty popping colors these days. So I, I think that is fine. But generally as a whole, Nike on par with Adidas, extremely uninspiring, not great. This is the big stage. Don't let your players wear the same gear when they play each other. That's the stuff that kit suppliers should be focusing on. Seriously. If you supply kits for two guys playing each other, two women playing each other, don't let them wear the same thing. What are we doing, guys? One of my favorite moments of this tournament so far along the... Uh, I agree with you, by the way. On on this theme of kit, it was Rafa Nadal after winning that tiebreaker uh, against Adrian Manorino completely and utterly drenched to the bone drenched in sweat. So he's fired up after just, you know, an incredible uh, set point to close it out, completely drowning in sweat. And he's like desperately pleading with the umpire for the extra two minutes to say like, I am so wet that I can't even, the back of the court is soaked. I do need to go and change everything here. It was very entertaining in that, you know, extra special Rafa way where he's, Trying to, he, he knows he knows what the rules are. Right. He's still incredibly right. polite at a moment where he's so fired up, and it's just this juxtaposition against the umpire. He's like, yeah, I mean, go go, man. Like, what's wrong? Just you got the got the time. Go go go, change. I thought it was very funny. Um, 
shouts to Liam Brody, Bush. Yeah, he uh, wearing the rainbow laces. Rainbow lace is a uh, topic in British football as well. Like it's a, it's a very popular thing for um, some players to support the uh, LGBTQ community. The queer community. Let's just let's just go with that. I think that's fair you to almost, say. Yeah, those, you, those letters you, yeah, you stumbled. You stumbled. It's, it's tough. It trips you up. Queer community's fine. Um, it's it's positive for more players to do this. Had some really good interview quotes about it. Um, I think the one that stood out for a lot of people, saying uh, the question was asked to him. I know it's a big topic, but if you could maybe reflect on why you think there hasn't been an openly gay uh, male player, is there a culture? Brody responds, I don't think so. I mean, I guess the society we live in, there's a culture like that, right? Especially in sport. I saw the first openly gay footballer just came out in Australia a month or two ago. It's difficult, right? I mean, in it's it's a big thing to do. And at the end of the day, it's the 21st century. It's pretty rubbish that people don't feel like they can be openly gay. It's quite sad, really. Liam Brody's Chad, man. Love Liam yeah. Brody. Let him speak more yeah. often. He also found himself in a, a tough spot playing Curios in the first round, and the crowd was super not great for him. And I think he handled it as well as you would expect him to handle it. And that's well, because he seems to be a guy with a good head on his shoulders. And you could tell the way Andy Murray rips him on Twitter all the time, that he's a good guy, because he, he does it a lot. <laughs> you got to be a saint to put up with that uh, that level of trolling. Um, Medvedev, the villain, Bush, this is, I think this is after the, the Kyrgios win, when he um, he made that low IQ comment. Not great, is it? That language is not particularly great. Uh, again, he's trying to go the AEW route. He's trying to be he's trying to be the heel. Sometimes that language gets a little lost in it, though, of where you can go, and it does. Uh, we we had a little bit of a chat about this in the Discord, right? About this 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 language is a little coded, like it can't. It's the kind of language that gets used in some of the alt right circles, and it makes you wonder whether or not that's some of his political leanings and philosophy. Who knows? Like it's that's a big reach, but it's it's potential. Um, and yeah, just be careful with your language, Daniel. I'd say on that one, even if you are trying to play a villain role. It's funny because like I. I'm remarking how intelligent he seems to be and he speaks multiple languages, but I do wonder if this was a translation thing that was lost or like he he was meaning to say like, I don't know, idiots or like goons in the crowd. I, d- I don't know if I'm I'm trying to vouch for him too much because I'm trying to see Daniel Medvedev in a positive light as you might be one of the vanguards of the sport and he hasn't done anything that bad yet. But I know there are incidents, incidents in the past where he has. I think the Donald Young thing in the past was a huge eye opener. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. He uh benefit of the doubt, we'll say. Right, there's a line. There's a line, but do not be surprised, I guess, if we see something awful happen, which is which is a wonderful place to be as a sports fan. Just it's like just expect something awful to happen eventually regarding one of the vanguards of your sport. Um let's let's close out parting shots. I think the rest that we have is bollocks. So let's just let's let's close out with Benoit Pair who has a good story. A, a good story and someone who has a, had a wild year from basically phoning in the entirety of 2021. <laughs> um with you know with some good reasons as well. It's not like it, it's all just him shitting all over the sport, but very very emotional um after his victory despite a, a, a truly abject kit i would say a bad fashion fit that he had uh but overall seeing him seeing how emotional he was during this interview seeing actual tears goes to show it's been tough on everyone right it's been really difficult and for him to get the victory that he did i think was really impressive and i really enjoyed watching this 
I actually have one last thing to ask you, Sign, before two challenges remaining. Um, it's a tennis question. Are you prepared? I am. Go for it. Let's say Felix Ajay Aliasim does set up that match against Daniil Medvedev in the quarterfinals. Knock on wood that uh, even though I think Marin Cilic is always a tough out and he'll be in crusty vet mode. But let's say that he does end up playing Med- uh, Medvedev and we know Shapo's playing Nadal. Who's, who's ma- who, for which player is that match more important for? Dennis or Felix? That's a really good question. Chapeau, I think. Interesting. Why so? Because I think Chapeau can win that match. And I don't think Felix can win that match. <laughs> that's the thing. And that's what I never thought I'd say. But I think Denis Chapovalov could beat Rafa Nadal in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. Yep. Get that G- Get that, uh, Nis- that I was about to call the Nissan Mustang, which goes to show my car knowledge. <laughs> um, get that Ford Mustang out, the, out of the, the garage. I believe it. I, I think for... For where I see Felix's ceiling, I would like to see him make some inroads against Daniel Medvedev because he's going to have to. And it's it's kind of like watching someone do all the things you can do well a lot, a little bit better. And that's what I see in, in Daniel Medvedev in terms of play style on the hard court. Um, so I, I'm curious about this measuring stick, but I think it is it's achievable for Dennis. So good answer. I'll I'll, I'll go Felix though. I'll I'll say I think this is for Felix. This is a big this is a big moment in time. So if Chapeau's the Mustang, what does that make Nadal? Like some sort of sporty hatchback? Like some sort of sort of quick, small car? Fiat 500 that has a zillion miles and has taken your family everywhere they've needed to go <laughs> for a long time. To every important recital, <laughs> to every important graduation, this car was there for you. See, I can write ad keeps copy. Going. I can write ad copy for these cars. <laughs> God damn it. All right. Two challenges remaining, Simon. Hit me up. I am taking part in my first ever game jam this coming week, which is really exciting. I started in a new company and uh, during the first couple of weeks, it got floated out there that they were going to enter into a game jam. And I thought, I don't know anyone here. Sure, it'll be a good way to meet people, good way to meet some of my teammates. And I've never taken part in one before. I've made my own stuff, but never in a team before. So this will be an exciting one. I am looking forward to it by all accounts. It's a really cool event that a lot more people should take part in. Even if you're not a game developer or someone who worked in the games industry, if you can find one around, by all accounts, they're great. And good way, to, good way to meet people, good way to build some skills and understand how uh, pipelines are done in making games. So I'm, I'm super stoked for it and excited for it. And hopefully if someone else can get the chance to do it, I would encourage them to do it as well. I, I love that you're participating in this and I, I do love how this job is sounding for you, sir. It sounds like a good place with some cool people. Um, that's awesome. My parting shot, my sister, uh, Pari, who lives in Seattle, was visiting over the holidays and the the gift that she had for my sister and I and my mom uh, wasn't ready yet. So it was going to come in the mail, but it did finally come. And because I can show this on video now, I'll show you this this book she made. It is a book featuring all of my mom's recipes and it's called cooking by heart and it's Whoa. amazing because a lot of <laughs> a lot of my mom's recipes were never really written down they're just things that she's known forever and like she just did it by heart but because my sister's also a dynamo and the chef and obsessed with uh, recreating things she went into the lab with my mom and basically uh 
got all these things written down and measured and and into into prints now. So we have a physical edition of my mom's cookbook full of all of her great recipes, which is just amazing. And is it just one? Is there only one? <laughs> there's there's multiple copies, but there's uh, I think it's a limited edition release. So I, I think there's only three versions out there, but. It is something I'll cherish forever, and I'm going to try and make some of these things, even though I don't think I can do it based <laughs> on some of the ingredient lists here. But awesome to get in the mail this week while I was recovering from COVID. So major shouts to Pari for that. You're going to need some chickpea flour and some, uh, what else are you going to need? Some paneer. Uh, that's, that, that stuff will be useful. <laughs> the chickpea flour? Yes, for sure. Uh all-purpose flour, a lot of yeah, some ghee, some ghee involved. Ghee, you know, of, course, of course. Yeah. yeah. When you know, you you know, we're talking about ghee. All right, you're talking about ghee. Yeah. Not the game. We're talking about ghee. All right, that is it. Uh, any anything? Any huge prediction, Simon, for the last week? Anything you want to say before you wrap up? I still, I still think Ashbart is going to win this tournament. I know that's not a particularly. Uh, she looks amazing. Absolutely not a amazing. Particularly Bold prediction, but I still think she's going to win this tournament. Shouts to Jess Pegula. If the bill, by the time this comes out, the, whatever happened to the bill, something will have happened. But the Pegula family will have something to cheer about with their daughter in the business end of this tournament and looking great. Uh, it's weird. I, I think we talk about class a lot on this show, Bush. And I mean, the class system and like being <laughs> afforded a lot of privileges and having things handed to you and having a bit an ability. Um, perhaps that your your lot in life afforded you. And I think for someone like just Peggy Lewis, who comes from a lot of money, it's earning her way is really important to her and she's doing it on the court. So I will commend her for that. And hopefully the bills follow suit against those hated Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, <laughs> that's it. For producer Greg on the ones and twos, thank you so much. A reminder, we are on patreon.com forward slash open era. We are on Discord all the time. Our community is growing by the day. So join us there. You get the show ad free. You get to watch some of these videos we're making now. Hint with some new releases coming. Hint, hint. So get on our Patreon. We're on Twitter at OpenEraPod. Please give us a rating or review also wherever you get this podcast as it helps us get into more people's ears. For Greg, Simon, and Devang, myself, thank you for listening to Open Era. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>